Welcome to The New Next, a podcast that addresses current events and how they will impact the future. Another interesting thing about the whole Ukraine-Russia conflict is it's showing that Europe specifically is too reliant on the United States, according to Finland PM. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it's kind of that. This kind of blew me out of the water when I first read that because I was thinking, how is anybody in Europe dependent on U.S. from all the stuff, all the rhetoric I hear on our side? It's always Europe basically doesn't seem like they need us at all. And then apparently that's not true. But the way that I hear it from my circles and stuff is that no one wants the U.S. right now. <laughs> I think it's this post World War II defense agreement mm. that's really there. Macron has talked a lot in recent years about wanting to start up a European military. Right. And for me, I guess being, I don't know, I'm not going to compliment it this way. I'm sure people would disagree, but, but the practical sense of me is like, oh, that's a great idea because there's a lot of Americans that don't want to pay for it. And this gives them more autonomy over their defense. So right. I think it's a very fragile place for Europe, just assuming that these World War II alliances are going to hold out when you have U.S. going through such transition phase too. I think it's on everybody worldwide right now, especially with U.S. going through so much transition that they are to really reevaluate their own security interests and what they want for a future. We have a great relationship with them. It's not like we're going to get rid of our bases in Germany or our intelligence sharing agreements or anything like that. But I think partnership that they control on their own soil and is less dictated by what U.S. wants to do for foreign policy. I think a lot of people criticize EU and Brussels often for being almost the patsy of the U.S. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a fair characterization. Right. But when you're talking about this whole military force element, I think it's, I think it's an important transition for especially this younger generation of European leaders like the Finland PM, Macron, who's really advocated to gain some more autonomy over their own future. Right. And what they want to do militarily. It's clear the world's changing. And I think the, this whole Russian situation has caused a lot of people to reevaluate these strategic alliances, how they fit, but also what they want in terms of their own autonomy and security long-term. Plus it's yeah. good business, right? I'm sure that they want the business on their soil for weapons, military and space. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to have to deal with us, might as well get the weapons. People in NASA have long advocated for military spending because Spending for space exploration mm -hmm. is usually directly tied to 
what we're spending in the military. Some of the greatest technologies like GPS have come out of DARPA, which is a military funding entity. Do you think we'll have that in the U.S.? Kind of like a younger generation of, I would say, Gen X slash elder millennials that will take the reins and reshape these world alliances in the U.S., but also globally. I think DeSantis is 42, so it would be See that young? People, yeah, it'd be people at and around his age group. So DeSantis, I don't AFC, think he would. Oh wow, he's older than me. Yeah, he's forty-four. No, forty-four. Wow. AFC, um. There. Goodness. Um. I mean, I think eventually it will. I just don't know if it will be in our lifetime. If it'll be this time, this group of people. Gen Y and Gen Z will be the ones that would be most likely to do it. I don't know. Someone like DeSantis, I don't, I don't see him being, of course, I, I would have said the same about Trump and Trump did do some stuff with, did reach out to some. <laughs> if we reference our fourth turning discussion, the generational aspects, they say that DeSantis to 30, basically my age range or a couple of years younger are going to be the decade inch range that would be, I guess, in a leadership transfer position. Yeah. Yeah. That's one reason why I'm saying I would like to think that it would happen. I guess it depends on how well America is going to be able to its own waters to depend on if it can handle international waters with the future leadership and stuff. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think us is just in such a, like a time where the elders start a war and hopefully the youngers get us out of it but we're so part of the problem is that i don't think the america's been a, we're at a spot as a whole that we're able to be picky about things like in our lives and stuff as american people it's no longer looking at just the world it's like looking inside and trying to make america better now Obviously, the different sides argue about that. And the, technically, that argument's always been going on, but we've gone, we've looked more inside than outside over the past 20 years or so. Yeah. We've had parts that we've had to respond to outside, and Ukraine, Russia is a great example of that. Afghanistan, um, Iraq. Well, I was even thinking like, uh, oh, goodness, the terrorist group that Al had all the attention. No, it was like around 2014 or around 2014, 2015. ISIS. Uh, ISIS, thank you. Like those kinds of things forced us to react more because when we went into Afghanistan and we went into Iraq, I think the general feeling around most Americans, even those who weren't supporting war and stuff, was this was a good idea. We should go in there. We should take care of Al Qaeda. We should take care of Saddam Hussein or whoever could be possibly associated with Osama bin Laden. As a whole, I think America was behind that. And because of all the different things that have happened during that time, the, the leadership's misuse of purposely trying to misdirect the press and the American public on like weapons of mass destruction, that, that kind of created a, or maybe not created, but definitely lengthened 
the separation of how much we can trust government and as a byproduct, how much the public can trust the press. So I don't know. I don't know if, and Ukraine is not, as much as I would like for us to stand up for Ukraine, I don't feel like Ukraine is one of those things that is willing, is getting us all to join. There's a lot of people that think that we shouldn't have even gone over there in the first place. And they haven't been convinced by anything that's happened over the past 10 months that we should have gone over there or that we should be involved in it at all. So that's where we kind of get more of those World War II vibes where when we officially say that we're going to go in, it might be after too much destruction has happened. So, just funding it. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that's all we're unofficially, officially funding World War II, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think really <clears throat> after this winter of people basically freezing to death, I think when you're talking about when it comes to March, April next year, stuff kind of freezes up and stuff can get back to action, I think that there's going to be some really tense emotional situations just because you think th people freezing to death that's uh, yeah and, that's I, and I don't pretty wanna, insane for 2023 i don't want to sound callous to it because i definitely my heart's there but i don't know if the american people as a whole care and yeah but it's i'm just saying like it doesn't really matter yeah, and it's true. hard to think that, but I, I think propaganda is going to be ramped up. It's just such a crazy time because we've we're really experiencing a lot of the stuff that we read about in World War II, just being different with the technology, and I understand why they're doing it. I was reading a flashback to the '80s last week, and we went from being such a, we hate Russia, we're suspicious of Russia, to our most recent president really making a lot of strides. And I shouldn't, not just him, even Obama as well. I don't want to put it just on one person, but it became, let's make friends with Russia beyond just a, like a cordial, like this is the relationship, but there was a lot of strides being made to really identify Russia as a, as an ally with both Obama and Trump. And yeah, they should be allies. Yeah. I mean, in the world peace kind of thing, but coming from a world where, you know, the one that you and I grew up in as kids, Russia was the enemy. Russia was bad. There's still a stink to commie red kind of rhetoric and stuff. And now I feel like we're there again, but we're not but we are Russia. If you look at Russia culturally, it's got some, I'd say cultural pillars that are very similar to the U S mm -hmm. like the U S is fundamentally where we came from is a country built on Christianity and Russia is very Christian country. And granted we've changed quite a lot, but that I'd say some of the Trump groups would be very aligned with some of the social policies on in, in Russia, there's not oh, that many. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, there's not many. There's a lot of synergies between us and them in the different parts of the part of their society. And they also have a great history of education and science and stuff like that. I, they're a large co country. We, we, we should be friends. Like right. we should be friendly rivals like we are with Britain and the UK. And, and, and I could see that still happening. So like I can, I can see a situation like 
Russia is a smaller country. They're a big country, but in terms of like the G8 and stuff like that, they're a smaller power. And given how they sit regionally, there is a possibility that they could potentially be in a situation in the future where they're essentially in a direct conflict with China. So Russia and China have this very interesting relationship right now where they're being pushed together because of, you know, the alliances in the world, but I, it's weird. It's like this weird thing that I don't really think that they have it's like one of those couples that you're like, oh, they're super cool. They're such a fun couple, but I don't see them lasting past, right. you know, decade and, and they'll probably still be friends afterwards, but maybe not. Like I feel it's kind of a situation like that where, yeah, it's the brick alliances are interesting because especially with the top ones, they could either go one way or another, but in that alliance, China is all, always going to win out over Russia. So Russia wants to be a superpower and in that cultural sense that they were kind of the historical empire and ultimately it's just, we should be friends. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. Whether or not we can get to that action is going to be interesting. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with Putin, Putin's power and how long his, like we saw in the late eighties and throughout the nineties that one, once Russia tried to do something a little bit different and we saw the ever the lasting power of the systems in place beforehand that made it difficult for Russia to just go into a democracy type setting. Um, however, I think it was loose enough that allowed for some of these cultural things that we, that you just mentioned, it'll be interesting because Putin's been in power now in some form for about 20 years. it will be interesting to see, did that power have the same resonance with Russia whenever he leaves, dies, whatever. Um, and if yeah. Russia goes into a free spin, like it did, in the late eighties, early nineties, or if it's able to be, get a little bit more stable. And I think an unstable Russia in that sense, not unstable, like in every other sense, but a non-Putin Russia, I think would be very likely to want to be friends with us very quickly. Yeah, um, definitely. But it also depends on, and I don't know enough about Russian politics to know if Putin's top people if they're actually Putinites or if they're Russian and who are just serving they're Putinites. They are. Yeah. Do they have his are they the ones that might get elected or be able to continue to stay in power when he is no longer able to be in power? I don't know. So I think I can't remember her name. This is gonna irritate me. It's not Georgia Georgia Venia. I think she's the head of the World Bank, but the head of Russian's Federal Reserve Bank, mm -hmm. I think is one of the most competent people in the world. So I don't know if she could ever be considered in that situation, but in terms of an economic transition and political transition like that, um, I've, it's irritating me. I can't remember her name, but I've, I've uh, listened Reza to Malkova. Yeah. So I've listened to her speak a lot and 
she's legit. Cool. But, and she tried to retire at the start of COVID too. And <laughs> basically P Putin begged her to stay. Let me double check that. That name doesn't. But yeah, it's, that would be an interesting scenario. And I think that's, we've talked about this before, but the legacy that Putin wants to have, I think is the biggest problem with Russia right now. If, because Putin has done some major accomplishments and I think Russia is a better off place than it was before he became in power. And I don't mean just like in the world landscape, but like the people of Russia generally have been in power. Of course, the minorities there have <laughs> not been so good. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's her, it's Elvira Nab Nabalina. I can't pronounce it. I'm horrible. So. Well, at least you, you recognize the name, but that's the first time I've probably ever heard that name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's badass. So oh. she's, she's been the chair, chairwoman of the bank of Russia since 2013, Moscow state university, how old is she? Yale fellow. She's 59. Uh, so and I would say great tra transition, be a great transition person. Oh, Between. she's still alive when Putin's gone. Well, he's got rectal cancer, apparently. Oh, and we've not talked about that yet. Well, we talked about it previously. That's right, we did, but it, it yeah. just seems so long ago, and yet it was just earlier this year. Yeah, who knows? It it seems you see these things, and it seems yeah, there's some legitimate stuff that they say about his health, like eyes on Putin's health. But there's also these intelligence sources that are supposedly from the Kremlin or his bodyguards and stuff like that. And they've been historically pretty accurate, but you never know with this stuff. Is it, is that real? Is it fake? Yeah. There's so much misdirection that's purposely being thrown out there. <laughs> yeah. If you would like to learn more about the new next podcast, find us at the new where you can suggest a topic you would like for us to cover. If you enjoyed what you heard, share the podcast, tell a friend about it, or rate us with five stars. 